Welcome to this week's Point Community Church Sunday Sermon. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Community Church, please visit our website at tpcc.org.au. Okay, so Romans, here we go. Um, Last term, uh, you might remember, we worked through some of John's Gospel. And our hearts were warned as we were reminded that anyone who turns to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, hands their life over to Jesus, will be saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. But is it good news? Have you ever stopped to consider, asked the question, is the good news of God actually good? Here's why we should. Think of a couple of Old Testament heroes. Uh, Abraham. Abraham's called the faithful father of Israel. Uh, David, he's called the righteous king of Israel. And both of those men were profoundly sinful. Abraham was willing to hand his wife over as a sex partner to other men. David put his eyes on Bathsheba, a woman who was not his wife, and used his kingly power to seduce her, and then had Bathsheba's husband murdered. How can God be good if he forgives those men? Have you ever considered the goodness of the good news? Now, here's one explanation of how God could have done that. Well, nobody's perfect. Everybody needs forgiveness. And so it's actually good that God can forgive and forget. Okay? But where do we draw the line? Because we need to draw a line, don't we? What about serial killers, serial rapists, child sex traffickers? Now, brother, sister, the forgiveness of our sins is the best news. But that forgiveness must be grounded in something more than God simply turning a blind eye to our sin. God cannot be good if he is not just, and it is not just to turn a blind eye to sin. Forgiveness is wonderful, powerful, beautiful. But willy-nilly forgiveness is corrupt, evil, frightening. And so again, I ask, have you, have you ever considered the goodness of God's good news? How's that for an intro to Romans We'll be looking at the first four chapters this term. And Romans powerfully shows us that God's good news is good. That's why we've titled our Roman series, uh, Romans, it's God's 
righteous gospel. Now, gospel is a Bible word for good news. And righteous is a Bible word for good, but really, really good, like absolute moral purity, absolutely, totally, completely, without a shadow of doubt, good. God's righteous gospel. That's what we're looking at this term. And as we begin our series in Romans, I'm going to pray that God will warm our heart with the absolute goodness, righteousness, majesty of his gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we've already sung this morning. Uh, We've heard from your word as it was read. uh, As Paul has prayed, without you, we would be lost. We'd be utterly destroyed. We, we, We have nothing to bring before you in order that we could save ourselves. And so as we work through Romans this term, Father, warm our hearts yet again to hear your good news, to taste your good news, to be so in love with your good news that we'll not be ashamed, but we will go out and share it with everyone. We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Oh, as you can tell, I'm pretty pumped for this series. Uh, Martin Luther, he's a guy who lived 500 years ago, wrote lots, preached really well. He was an amazing guy. This is what he wrote about Romans. This letter is truly the most important piece of the New Testament. It is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And then we've had our, the, the much-loved Judy Brown. We've heard from her, didn't we? It's a really good letter. <laughs> Friends, Jesus is God's good news. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. And Romans spells that glorious truth out better than any part of the Bible. Therefore, the more we get to know Romans, the tastier it will become. The more we will feast on Jesus. Today we have seven verses. Uh, They tell us who wrote Romans and then who Romans was written to. Spoiler alert, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans and he wrote it to Christians in Rome. I did a lot of study for that one. Now, normally, a first century letter would include uh, the author, which is backwards to us, isn't it? Letters used to begin with who wrote it, then who it was written to, and a little short greeting. But Romans is a bit different. It has an extended introduction. Uh, In it, we also hear Paul's credentials, we hear his message, and we hear his job description. And so here's how we're going to work through the seven verses uh, this morning. Firstly, we're going to look at the recipients. Then we're going to look at Paul's uh, credentials. Then we're going to look at Paul's message. And then we'll look at Paul's task. That's where we're headed. First of all, the recipients. As I just mentioned, first, letter, first century letters opened with author, recipient, and a little greeting. Romans opens with Paul's name. 
the Apostle Paul wrote Romans. We'll come back to him in a moment, but first, jump down to verse 7. I want us to see who Paul wrote to. So verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Now, we're starting with the recipients, because I reckon when we realize who Paul wrote to, it'll help us understand the first six verses better. Paul was writing to the saints in Rome. Saints in Rome. Now, saints is a Bible word for those who are sanctified, those whom God has made holy. That's what saint is. Uh, It's another word for Christian, to the saints in Rome. Now, who were these saints? Who were these Christians in Rome? It's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. And to get us started on the answer, here's uh, what we don't know. We don't actually know who planted the church in Rome. We don't know who started it. It wasn't the Apostle Paul. He hadn't been there yet. And it was not Peter, as some historians like to say. The fact of the matter is we're not exactly sure who wrote Romans. Best guess is some Jews who were present at Pentecost. Remember when we were in Acts chapter 2 last week? Acts 2, Graham had us there. Uh, uh, The Holy Spirit came on a room in Jerusalem and filled that room. Have a listen to some of those who were in that room in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, verse 10. People were from Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Let's go to that next slide for me if we can. Here's Jerusalem over here on the slide, way over on this side. Now, Rome is all the way up in the top left-hand corner. When Paul wrote the letter to Romans, he hadn't actually been there yet. And so the Holy Spirit on Pentecost comes down in a room in Jerusalem, and we know in that room, some of the people who were in that room were Jews from Rome. And so it would be reasonable to assume that those Jews who became Christians went back to Rome and started witnessing about Jesus as the crucified, resurrected, ascended Messiah. And as they started to witness about Jesus, uh, some of their friends, some of their family would have become Christians as well. And so there's the church in Rome starting up by ordinary Jewish Christians just sharing the gospel. And quickly, Gentiles and Jews would have become Christians. Now, that was, what, probably around AD 33, the day of Pentecost. AD 41, Claudius becomes emperor of Rome. And during his reign, he started to expel Jews from Rome. And so somewhere along the line, the Jewish Christians would have been kicked out of Rome and the Gentile Christians... Uh, that's non-Jews, people from any other nation other than a, a Jewish nation, uh, Gentile Christians start to lead the Christian church in Rome. Why am I telling you that history? I can see some of you are already switching off. Let's pull it together. As we piece all of this together, we get a pretty good picture of who the original recipients of Romans were. 
The original church planters would have been ordinary Jews who brought the gospel of Jesus back to Rome. Then the church would have quickly been filled with Gentile and Jewish Christians, probably from house to house. Uh, There's the Roman church. Then the Jews would have had to leave, and so the church would have been led by Gentiles. But then, maybe thanks be to God, Claudius died in AD 51, and Jews started to come back. And then in the mid, uh, actually I told you a lie, Claudius died in AD 54. Then Paul writes Romans soon after that, mid-50s, mid to late 50s. And so this is when we've now got Jews coming back into the church, Jewish Christians back into the church. Romans was written to a church full of Jewish and Gentile Christians, a church that used to be led by the Jewish Christians, then was led by the Gentile Christians. Now they're back together again. That's the setting of this first letter, which is probably why Romans is the most detailed explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. Paul left no room for Jewish Christians to take pride in their Jewish heritage. It is faith alone in Jesus alone which saves. And Paul left no room for non-Jewish Christians to boast over the Jews. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's Old Testament promises to the Jews. God's righteous gospel levels the playing field for everyone. As we'll see over the next three to four weeks, we are all sinners in need of God's mercy. We all deserve God's eternal punishment. But through God's righteous gospel, anyone, anyone, anyone can be saved. Which means church should be the one place where all are welcome. Church should be the one place where there's no gossip There's no pride, there's no backstabbing, there's no looking down the nose at those people. There's no hierarchy. Church staff are not important than non more important than non-church staff. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all sinners saved by grace. Okay. That was the recipients, the original recipients of the letter to Rome. Now to Paul's credentials. Read verse 1 with me. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Um, Paul was an amazing Christian. He, He was beaten up sometimes almost to death. You remember that passage in Acts where he was actually thought to be dead. They dragged him out, left him, thought he was dead, pops up again and keeps sharing Jesus. He was amazing. Paul kept getting uh, up and telling people about the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes he didn't even get up. Some of his ministry was conducted from prison. Paul was an extraordinary man. And yet he was always at pains 
to describe himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul always carried within his heart the fact that he was a great sinner, but he had a great saviour. He was serving Jesus Christ. Paul was proud to identify himself as servant. Are you? Am I? Is our number one identity marker servant of Christ Jesus? Are we joyfully willing to spend our lives telling anyone and everyone about Jesus Christ? Even if it means we're mistreated, misunderstood, considered a loony. Are we servants of Jesus? Or do we expect Jesus to serve our comfort and our well-being? The first of Paul's credentials was his greatest credential. Paul was a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul's second credential that we hear here is that he was an apostle. Now, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Paul used to persecute, lock up and kill Christians. Before Paul was converted, he hated Jesus and he hated Christians. But in Acts 9, we learn how Jesus supernaturally met Paul while Paul was marching off to another one of his crusades. Paul heard the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus Christ was converted and called to be an apostle to non-Jews. Jesus saved a former persecutor of his church and made him an apostle of his global church. Jesus set up Paul as a leader, as a founder of his global church. Paul's conversion and calling goes to the heart of his passion for God's righteous gospel. Paul understood his desperate state and was therefore understanding how glorious God's gospel, righteous gospel, actually is for him personally. Friends, our time in Romans will remind us of our desperate, eternal state. Our sin will be exposed again and again in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now, for those of us who have been saved, it's actually going to be a glorious reminder of our glorious salvation by our glorious Saviour. And if there's anyone here who is yet not yet saved, my prayer is that you you will come to taste and see the glorious Saviour and hand your life over to him. Okay, that that was Paul's credentials. He was a servant of Christ Jesus. And he was called by Jesus from persecutor to apostle. We're now going to look at Paul's message. Read from verse 1 with me again. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, 
set apart for the gospel of God. There's that word, gospel of God. Gospel, it literally means good news. It comes from uh, the Greek word, euangelion. Don't worry, you don't need to remember. I don't actually like dropping Greek words in because none of us read Greek, do we? But the reason why I've done it this time is because when you take those Greek letters and, and put them into English letters, we straight away see something that's really helpful for us. We start to see the word evangel pops out. Evangel, from which we get our word evangelism and evangelical. Good news. So, euangelion, Greek, you can forget that for a sec, but remember, the gospel means good news. The evangel of God. That's why we evangelize. We tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we are evangelical Christians. We're an evangelical church. We're a church that is built on the good news of, well, let's keep reading, this gospel of God, which God, he, which God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This gospel, this good news, this evangel, it's not God's plan B, plan C. Oops, that didn't work. Oops, that didn't work. No, 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 no. God has always been on about this gospel to save people. It's his plan A. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. God promised that he was going to send a forever king in the line of King David. Well, he's now come. And he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This son, who who is not just a human like you and I, although he was born just like a human like you and I, he is also the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, confirmed and affirmed by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This is, this is the message, this is the gospel, this is the evangel, and it's all about Jesus Christ, the God-man who was sent by, promised by God, sent by God, has died in our place and has been raised again. What a glorious, glorious message. Paul's message is the gospel of God, the evangel of God, the good news of God. It's good news that God promised a long time ago. It is good news that concerns Jesus, his son. Jesus, the God-man. Jesus raised from the dead. That is Paul's message. The gospel of God, which is all about Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus. We now turn to our final point, Paul's task. Read from verse 5 with me. Verse 4 ended with Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul's task, Paul's job description was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations so that all people would have the opportunity to turn to Jesus and be saved. 
This task explains why Paul wrote Romans. Uh, You might remember that map I had up there earlier. Paul eventually did want to get to Rome because, as we'll learn as we keep reading Romans, he wanted to get to Spain even further west. And so Paul, knowing that he wanted to get to Spain, thought, I've got to meet these Roman Christians because they're going to become my launch pad to my missionary journey into Spain. I want them to partner with me. And so Paul wrote Romans. But why so long? Why the longest gospel explanation in the New Testament? Again, great question. This will be the last time we do that this morning. We're going to finish on this one. I want you to picture the first Christians hearing this. There they are in Rome, gathered. The letter's been delivered. And for the first time, they are hearing it read in the Roman church. We could imagine, as verse 5 was read out, to bring about the obedience of faith. We could imagine the Jewish Christians looking down their nose at the Gentile Christians. Did you hear that? You better get on board with all our Old Testament laws. But then you could also imagine the Gentile Christians looking down their nose at the Jewish Christians. Yeah, but did you, did you hear grace? Paul keeps talking about grace. Take that, you foolish Jewish Christians. Paul wrote an extended letter to clarify Jesus alone is the gospel. I began this sermon with a question. Have you ever questioned God's good news? The gospel cannot be good news, good news, if God simply turns a blind eye to our sin. God would not be good if he declared us forgiven, but we remain sinners, not saints. Romans slowly, meticulously, and definitively shows us that God's gospel is not only righteous, remember righteous means good, it's not only righteous, it is beautiful. Through the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, God converts sinners into saints. Which means church is a level playing field. The Gentile Christians should have heard that bit about the obedience of faith and went, yes, of course the obedience of faith. Can you believe God has saved me through Jesus? Whatever Jesus says, I'm going to obey. Whatever he says to not do, I'm not going to do. And I'm going to do it so well that others will see how awesome Jesus is. And then the Jewish Christians would have heard about grace and went, of course, of course, of course. I mean, look at all of my family tree. It's a mess. There's no way keeping Jewish laws is going to save me. I need the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jewish and Gentile Christians, they should have embraced each other with a hug that is so intimate and so deep. It's just built on centuries of a family tree, going all the way back to Abraham. This is 
God's righteous gospel, the gospel that he declared long ago and is written in the scriptures all along the way. Jewish Christian, Gentile Christian, new Christian, old Christian, child Christian, adult Christian, rich Christian, poor Christian, educated Christian, uneducated Christian, from the right side of the tracks Christian, from the wrong side of the track Christians. All these identity, worldly identity markers that we come up with to take pride in ourselves and look down on other people or feel pitiful about ourselves, they're 100% irrelevant. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Through faith in Jesus Christ, sinners are converted into saints. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified, righteous, able to cry out, Abba, Father. If we were to put a video of my life on the screen that included not just my actions, but you, you could actually hear my inner thoughts and my inner desires, you would doubt if I was truly saved. And the same would be true of your video. Which is why we need something outside of ourselves to save us. And that something is Jesus Christ. God's righteous gospel. As Christians, we look outside of ourselves and lay hold of, feast on Jesus Christ, God's righteous gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, <laughs> your good news is um, the best news in the whole wide world. And Father, we, I pray for each of us, myself included, would, would we lay hold of, would we feast on, would we come to Jesus Christ, the bread of life and feast for our salvation? Father, would we know and taste and, and see that through Jesus, we, we're no longer sinners, but we're actually saints. And Father, would our biggest motivation, help us, Father, please help us, that our biggest motivation in all of this is that we want to show people that you are the glorious one. We want to be happy to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this for your glory and our joy. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for our latest sermon, or better yet, join us live at 9.30 or 5 p.m. Sunday. You can find all the details on our website at tpcc.org.au.